Tails, more well-established lesbian. Chapter 56 Ten minutes of comedy had resulted in a bucket of money. A literal bucket of tips. Like the best hourly rate I have ever managed. It wouldn't let me keep the bucket though, which seemed mean. Honestly, it's the surrealist feeling. Like I dreamt the whole thing last night. But Clyde's just sent me the video of the gig, making me look totes professional, by the way. I'm almost terrified to watch it, but I have to know how it matches up to what I remember. One of the upsides to living with Paul is his obsession with tech and gadgets, and that means that he has a fuck-off big TV. And I do mean fuck-off big. It took three of them to lift it into place. And to be honest with you, we could do with living three houses down to get the best view of it. So I decide I'm going to watch myself on the big TV, which makes it pretty much life-size. My first viewing, all I can focus on is the sound, listening for laughter or the lack thereof. Second time round, I'm more focused on that bit where I stumbled, where I forgot what I was doing. In my memory, I'd like ummed and aahed and yared for a good minute or so. The video tells me that that, in fact, was only 10 seconds of excruciating agony. And, to be honest, if you're not me, you can't actually tell at all. My critique gets just a little meaner with every watch, but I'm still proud as fuck. First of all the job, now the comedy. I'm making moves and they're actually paying off. And it's time for another one, I think. Because, well, living with Paul has been great and it's exactly what I've needed right now. But, well, for starters, I'd like to not spend four hours commuting to a seven and a half hour day job. And then there's the whole living with a boy thing. It's not what you're thinking. Paul is more than capable of putting the toilet seat down. He's probably cleaner and tidier than me and a lot of other people I've lived with. Now, honestly, it's more the fact that even as best friends, there's stuff you don't see that you don't know about each other. Live together and there's nowhere to hide. I don't think I can cope with hearing Paul have sex one more time. And people, it is not just the weirdness of hearing your best mate in his most intimate moments. It's also the absolute shambles that the whole thing sounds like. That's not all on him either. There was the girl who moaned so loudly and so insincerely, I thought I'd left Pornhub open on my laptop. There was another one who sounded like a squeaky dog toy. Small mercies, these interactions never seemed to last very long. It all just sounded so disappointing. Maybe my assumptions of the whole thing are wrong and everyone had a lovely time. I'm just suspicious of how lovely it can be in around six minutes. Okay, that one was a one-off, but still. The fact that I can give you a detailed analysis of Paul's sex life is reason enough to move out. But there is another factor, and it's anger. 
My encounters with male anger have been limited to those in the public sphere. You know, pissed up lads on a night out, that fellow with road rage. I've not felt the intensity of that male anger inside the space I call my home for a very long time. And Paul is human. He loses his temper just like I do, especially when he's been having his heart messed around with by some bint that I can't stand since she reeled him in and then moved continent at the drop of a hat. But his anger comes out differently. It's physical. It fills the air in the house. He slams and bangs around like he wants to bring the whole thing down. It's never directed at me, but it doesn't stop every muscle I have from tensing up. And then there's the worry too. Is he okay? Has he hurt himself? Will he hurt himself? The whole thing stresses me out so much. I just need to find somewhere back in my town. I trawl through all the usual apps and websites and honestly the options are depressing and expensive. And that one there, that one is just a garage. You could at least paint the breeze blocks, you greedy bastards. Trying to find somewhere to rent is awful. I hate letting agents with all their fees and their bullshit admin. Maybe it's just worth asking around. You know, someone might know someone who knows someone who has a place. And when I say ask around, what I mean is stick it on Facebook and hope for the best. Martanin extends beyond comedy, because within the hour, I've got a lead on a new place. Marco has just been talking to Shane, our pub quiz host and one-time Derby announcer. And what do you know? Shane needs a roommate. So we agreed to meet after work tomorrow and he'll show me the place. It's a 10-minute walk from work, so it's getting a big fat tick on the list. And it's lovely. The room is a basement room. I mean, the no-windows thing is not ideal, but the price is good. And the place is really, really nice. And Shane has one other bit of information that seals the deal for me. He's actually going to go home to Australia for the next month or so to sort his visa out. I'm going to have the place to myself for a minimum of six weeks, maybe longer. I can't give him my money quick enough. We shake hands, Shane and I are now officially roommates. We'll overlap for about a week and then he's going to be off, which should give me time to work out if he's gay, bisexual or just seems really gay. Gotta be honest, my money is on gay gay, but I'm not sure if he knows it yet. And I could be wrong. It's happened once or twice. You can't always rely on the gay dar. Now, all I've got left to do is tell Paul. I know he's going to be cool because this was never going to be a long-term thing, but it has been more good than bad. So I am a little sad when I tell him, but it makes sense on all levels. And honestly, if we're going to stay friends this time around, I need a little more space. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Paul feels it too. This way, we aren't going to be pushing our luck or each other's boundaries. Moving day comes around well fast and it coincides with Shane's leaving party. You know, just in case the whole visa thing doesn't go well. And hey, why not have a party? Shane is the most ridiculously sociable person I've met in a long time. I grant you he's like 14 years younger than me, but that's not the point. He just seems to know everyone 
like he's lived here forever. And the boy doesn't stop. A full-time job, he's a part-time fitness instructor, part-time quiz host and full-time social butterfly. I'm tired just listening to his schedule. But I figure he's exactly what I need to help get me back out there living my life and just having some fun. The leaving party is a lot of fun. And I am not the centre of any of the drama. I just happen to have a front row seat to all of it. And I may or may not have offered encouragement to those who were misbehaving. Not that they needed it. While everyone else is having all the fun, I am going home alone again. I didn't manage to pull tonight, but I did get recognised in the pub as that comedian from the other night. If I can't get laid, I'll take that instead. Especially as he'd really liked my stuff too. I'll take it. I retire to my basement bedroom and sleep like a baby on my first night back in town. Sitting out in the sunshine in our little garden the next morning, I can't help but feel pleased about being able to stand on my own two feet. I can afford to live and I don't need to rely on someone else. Every night out, I can now say yes to whatever's happening without having to hope the last train home doesn't get cancelled. Hmm... Do I tell Ashley that I've moved back to town? She seems to be avoiding me, which is fair enough, but not as easy now I literally live around the corner. And if she is dating someone, I'd quite like her to keep avoiding me. I ponder this as Shane packs up. We'll only live together for a few days, but I'm kind of going to miss him. But I'm sure having the flat to myself will make me feel much better about it. I send a text to Ashley and she gets straight back to me. And the next thing you know, she's popping over later in the week. Once Shane has left. I'm not about to try and explain this whole sorry lesbian ex-drama thing to him right now. Let's let him discover that on his return, if it's still relevant. The man's about to trust me with his flat for a couple of months. Let's not give him any reason to doubt my judgement and decision making before he goes. Shane walks me through the dishwasher cleaning routine one more time before he finally sets off for home, the land of Oz. Poor lad's not been home for a few years now, which has to be tough. Makes me think I should make more of an effort to see my folks, be a bit more grateful that they're not 24 hours and two grand away. I am, however, very grateful to have this flat to myself. It's the moment of space I've been needing after living with Paul. And being in the basement, it's no bad thing as it turns out. The total darkness at night has taken my sleep to a whole new level. And somehow the temperature in there rarely changes. I'm feeling calmer and more relaxed than ever. Until Ash comes over. She oohs and ahs about the flat and my gig. And I can tell though, she's not here for this kind of small talk. She's got this look on her face like she wants to confess something. I know, Ash. I can tell that whatever it is, she thinks I'm not going to like hearing it. And you don't have to be Sherlock to know it's obviously about the new girlfriend. And ten points to Gryffindor? I'm right. Some of our mutual friends are aware of the new girlfriend and Ashley thinks it's best I hear about it from, well, her. I knew something was up. 
But who the hell is she dating that she'd be worried to tell me about? Like, I can't picture her with anyone that we know, so this could be quite a surprise. Ashley asks that I try not to overreact and that I keep my comments civil. Well, shit. Now I'm fully ready to hear this. We sat opposite each other on this garden picnic bench and Ash doesn't quite know how to say whatever it is she's got to say. Come on then, who is it? Let's get this dealt with, I think. Bob. She says it so quietly, I'm sure I must have heard her wrong. Sorry, I didn't quite hear you there. Who is it? This time, Ashley looks at me and says, It's Bob. I'm seeing Bob. Maintaining my face is my top priority, which is hard to do when my brain is all, Are you fucking kidding me? Keep up the facade while I consider my options. Okay, overreacting and being a bitch about it is off the table. Should not have agreed to that. But I didn't say anything about laughing. And let's be honest, this has to be a fucking joke, right? So laughing is the appropriate reaction. Because this pair of fucking jokers, the laughter keeps coming even as I shake my head. Now I am really glad Ash didn't bring her date to my gig, because those would have been some very different kind of punchlines. I recover myself enough to thank Ash for telling me herself and ask that she gives me a heads up if I'm likely to run into them as a couple. Best I keep a wide berth while the temptation to push Bob in the river is so very, very strong. The fact that it is Bob somehow makes it easier to deal with. I mean, my feelings and emotions about this are not confusing. I dislike Bob strongly. I really do. I think she's awful and I dislike Bob and Ashley being together. I won't be giving these two another thought, however, because I have got plenty to keep me busy. That's it. I'm not thinking about it. Because despite my lack of transport, I have still managed to fill quite a few weekends with roller derby announcing. And now I've got a bit more experience under my belt, I decided I would chuck an application in to announce at the British Roller Derby Championship Playoffs. I mean, you don't ask, you don't get, right? Well, I've only gone and got selected, haven't I? I mean, happy days. Except in typical me fashion, I'm all lastminute.com on the booking front because I didn't actually think I was going to get selected. And where do we hold this most prestigious of sporting weekends of top-level roller derby? London? Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds. No, no, I am off to the birthplace of Take That's Robbie Williams. Good old Stoke-on-Trent. Well, I will be once I figure out how the hell I'm going to get there and where I'm going to stay, because everything is booked up. Works out, the car hire is cheaper than the train, so there is no planet saving for me. And Airbnb comes through with a budget-saving room for £15 a night. I mean, all I need is a bed and a shower. These rooms have both. Job done. So I'm all set for Stoke when I get an offer to announce a set of London games the weekend before. European opponents too. I can't pass up the chance to add to my game CV. Plus, it's going to give me an opportunity to test out my new strategy for meeting women at these events. Once I am in the sports hall, 
I'm going to drop my Tinder radius to the lowest possible setting. And voila, now I can swipe and hope that maybe one of them in the room fancies the announcer. Obviously, I could just go and talk to him and I'm interested in, but being on the mic for most of the event does tend to get in the way of that. And flirting over the PA system is probably classed as coming on too strong. I jump on the train to London on game day and I can't help but wish I had someone with me. Don't get me wrong, I'm big enough and ugly enough to take care of myself and everyone at the games is always super nice and super welcoming. It's not like I'm there on my own. It's just a before and after. I'm missing sharing that with someone. I'm missing that someone being proud of me and telling me my outfit looks good. I miss having someone in particular to show off to. And that's not to say I'm not proud of me. Holy shit, I am so proud of myself right now. I mean, like I've been scared since the day I blew up my life and I still haven't let it stop me once yet. I mean, sure, I've wobbled a lot and I've fallen down and felt sorry for myself. I've even given up at points, but I've given up giving up. I keep finding things to learn, love and dreams to chase. I've reassured myself I'm a long way from dead and that I've got a lot of living left to do. Just sometimes I wish that the seat next to me had someone in it when the train disappears into the tunnel and your face is reflected back at you. It turns out it's hard, though, to stay introspective as you narrate 60 women battling the hell out of each other for the afternoon. I've implemented my new Tinder strategy, swapped my swipes, so to speak, but nothing. Nada. And as the day comes to an end, my feet are killing me, the drinks are overpriced, and I've still got an hour and a half train ride home. I'm calling it a night. My timing is well off this evening, and I'm stuck on pack train after pack train, full of football fans. Standing room only. Unless you happen to be a travel-sized lesbian like me and you can fit comfortably on the luggage rack. I mean, grant you it's not the comfiest thing in the world, but my feet appreciated it. Halfway home, my phone pings. A Tinder match. Of course, as I'm on my way back. But I don't think I saw her at the games. And then she sends the first message. A pleasant surprise and a nice change. We message back and forth, pretty quick exchange, establishing that I'm no longer in town for a drink tonight. But what about tomorrow, I ask? She's up for it. Suggests that we swap numbers. She hates messaging on Tinder. Sure, whatever, I'm good with WhatsApp. I add her and drop a quick hi to check it's all good. She sent a photo in reply. For some reason, I've got to tap it to download and whoa! Let's close that. I look up and to the fella standing right next to where I'm perched. His face says he totally got an eyeful of that too. Oh my God, who sends a flap snap as their opening gambit on WhatsApp? A full money shot of her fanny. That was my Tinder match's hello. Apparently, a bit of mystery is so last season. I'm still staring at my now locked phone screen when the fella next to me actually nudges me with his elbow and raises his eyebrows at me. Dude, no! Christ, no wonder they think it's a good idea to send dick pics. He thinks this is a right result. I feel violated. And I'm 90% certain it's a fella behind the account. I mean, sweeping generalisations and all, but the ladies who do like a flap snap 
do tend to build into it, if you know what I mean. And this is what happens when you don't obey your own rules. A week later, I'm driving to Stoke and I have decided that I am going to give the online dating apps a rest for a while. I keep matching with women who are claiming to be US Marines stationed in places it seems unlikely the US Marines actually are. And, well, there are a lot of them. You'd think they'd have started shagging each other by now. So no more dating apps for me. I'm going to dedicate myself to the derby this weekend and to looking dapper as fuck while I do it. But first, I've got to find this bargain Airbnb. After a couple of laps around the less salubrious parts of Stoke, I think I've found it. But I need to park up and walk down a less than inviting alleyway. The back of the house I think I'm staying in doesn't really scream Airbnb and it might have been easier to locate it if they had just said it was opposite the corner where someone has written drugs in large spray paint letters. I just need a bed and a shower I remind myself. It's a bargain I remind myself as I punch in the code to the key box which is empty. I've been driving for hours and I just want to get sorted out. For fuck's sake. Alright, let me call the host. He says he's double booked it and there is no room for me. He suggests I call Airbnb. They'll sort it. I beg your pardon, the fuck they will. Mate, this is your cock up, I say. You're gonna sort it. It takes 15 minutes of arguing with him for him to come clean and admit that he does have another room available across town. He gives me the code and off I go to find the other bad part of town. I can't even tell if this is actually an Airbnb or if he's just letting me stay around his mate's house. At this point I don't even care. There's a bed, a lock on the door and a bathroom somewhere in this house. Let's just say I was very glad I wasn't staying both nights when I left the next morning. Surely the place I'd actually booked wouldn't be so bad. But I've got no time to worry about that now. I've got a whole day of top-level British roller derby to announce. And this time, there's a new challenge. I'm commentating on live stream, which has a whole new set of rules, like don't say fuck or bugger. And now, I've got to do things like sponsoring. I can talk about the action in a totally different way because, well, no one on track can hear what I'm saying. And lastly, I've now got to start doing stats and analysis for the fans at home. I've got a co-host in one ear, a producer in the other ear. The game is live in front of me down below and on four screens in front of me showing all sorts of different views. There's so much to process. My brain wants to talk about everything at once and instead what happens is I say nothing. Aside from reading out the team sheet, I've mostly been making agreeing noises. Words are hard, because what if they're the wrong ones? My far more experienced co-host can see that I am floundering. Just breathe and talk to me, she says, taking a moment to mute us both. I'm going to ask you a question, and all you need to do is just tell me about the game like you normally do. She flicks our mics back on, and I try to put the viewing public out of my mind. I mess up a bunch more times as the game goes on, but it starts to click for me. Broadcasting has such a different rhythm. And although I'd listened to hours and hours of it, being on the other side is so different. 
With the baptismal fire over, I've got a few games free to recover. Or as I saw it, to prepare for my next live stream. When I was a skater, I fangirled the skaters who I saw as the best or the most entertaining, the ones whose technique I admired. And as a roller derby fan, I had a real appreciation for the quality commentators I'd listened to. And in a sport dominated on every level by Americans, there was a British voice that had always stood out for me. As far as I was concerned, B truly was the voice of roller derby. Queen B she is to me. She had announced some of my favourite games that I had watched over and over again. Her dry Mancunian wit was only matched by her gameplay analysis. She is the total package and a total babe too. And now I'm on the same crew as her. O-M-G. I'm totally intimidated, but not enough to let this chance pass me by. I take a seat out of the way as Queen Bee sets herself up for her next game. I watch the way she organises her paperwork. I listen intently as she writes and rehearses her intros. I try to just blend into the background so I can watch her work. The way she's telling the story of the game to her co-host, not fixated on the screen, but taking the time to engage, like two friends just chatting about the match. She doesn't panic when the producer passes the stats. She waits and finds a spot in her flow to work them in. It's a masterclass I'm watching and I am going to steal every trick I see and hear. A couple of games back down on the floor brings my confidence back and my final live stream of the day goes without a hitch. The entire announcing and production crew head to the pub. In fact, that is our battle cry as we navigate through the town. To the pub, we shout like the lazy second cousins of Sparta. I squeeze into a spot in a booth in the pub and we push all the tables together. I barely know anyone here, and those I do know, they're just acquaintances at best. I am the newest face to the crew, and like all situations that involve big groups of people, there are some politics and some informal alliances. I won't go as far as to call it clicky, but it's getting awfully close to sounding like that at times. Now, as it happens, I don't need to worry about all of that because Queen Bee has sat down next to me and I have all of the questions for her. Her roller derby league have their own venue, a permanent venue. They call it the Thunderdome. And honestly, I'm so impressed with the whole thing. Queen Bee was a huge part of that happening and I need to know her secrets. Thank God for her and I, the vodka kicks in and I lighten up and relax. By closing time, we're all more than acquaintances now and my head is spinning with tips and advice and feedback and encouragement and vodka too. I head back to the original Airbnb. I'd called in in the afternoon to grab the keys and drop my bags off. Listeners, somehow it was even worse than the night before. And to top it all off, the cherry on the cake, the smoke alarm battery was failing meaning it didn't stop beeping for the full 10 minutes I was in there. So you'll understand, I'd assumed it was going to keep going, and the vodka was therefore practical too. The worst part about staying in a shithole like this was that even after a shower I still felt dirty. My outfit says fresh as fuck, but oh my god I don't feel it and it is not my hangover. If I get selected next year, I'm getting a hotel, 
That's what I promised myself as I head out towards finals day. The whole thing goes amazingly well for me. You even saw me on the TV, if you squinted a little bit. The BBC, our national broadcaster, put the sport on their red button channel. It was so, so cool. And the whole weekend had been a blast. But what goes up must come down. It didn't hit me until I was walking home from the car hire place the next day. It was like my battery dropped from 10% to that critical 1%. Oh my God, I want my bed, I thought, with every single step I took. The thought of having to talk to someone right now, oh, that just made my already raw throat ache some more. I hardly made it in the door before my entire body turned on me. I felt as rough as you like. And yet my retreat to bed made no difference. The darkness didn't make a difference. The cool, balanced temperature of the basement room doesn't make a difference. Because I am out of happy, shiny distractions. I'm out of even your basic, boring distractions. All my head will conjure up is the word Bob. I know, I know, lying here thinking about bloody Bob. But my brain doesn't like things that don't make sense and this whole thing with Bob has never made sense to me. And oh boy, do I have a shitload of hurt pride about it too. My ego gets bent way out of shape over Bob. And some of it is so bloody shallow. Like I'm pissed off that Ashley would be with someone I deem ugly or uglier than me anyway. And every time I think that, I feel quite ashamed of myself. But I've always been honest with you, and this is how I feel about her. Because I'm facing rejection after rejection in real life, on dating apps, and everywhere I look around me. And there's Bob, hooking up with Ashley. I keep telling myself I don't need the world to love me, want me. But it turns out what I do want them to do is want me more than bloody Bob even if I don't want them back. Which isn't cool, obviously, and it takes me a fair few nights to get to the realisation that Bob really isn't the issue here. I mean, you'd think I'd have got there quicker, right? But did I mention how irrational Bob makes me? Like a kryptonite lollipop would be for Superman. Letting my ugly thoughts go has to be the top priority. I don't want them coming out of my face and making me uglier. Needing or wanting approval and validation, these things obviously matter to me. I wouldn't be doing stand-up comedy otherwise. And it can be such a weakness, but maybe if I start looking for them in the right places, from the right sources, then it doesn't have to be such a weakness, not entirely. It's a different type of standing on my own two feet, I've got to practice now. I can't let that one segment of my life invalidate all the rest of my undertakings and achievements. It's time I remembered there's more to me than my romantic life and whether or not I'm hot or not in someone else's eyes. Because I looked fucking great in my eyes at my gig on the BBC and this morning when I woke up and looked in the mirror. And that's whose opinion matters. Well, hello. I am so sorry. It's good to be back with you. At last, my life allows me a moment to breathe and record and edit 
and get this chapter out to you. In all the new job madness, I have been rewarded with a day off for my efforts and I thought I cannot keep you waiting any longer. I can't thank you enough for your patience and for the concern that some of you have shown. I promise I'm all right. It was all just a bit mad. I guess I'm realising why people wait until they're retired to write their life story. I'm going to do my absolute best to get back on our usual schedule ASAP. But for now, I've got to love you and leave you until next time. I've still got a fresh tight tent to write for this week's gig too. I hope your week is full of fun and laughter. And thanks, as always, for the privilege of your time. Take care of you.